Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. Open your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The second chapter of 2 Thessalonians is one of the great prophetic chapters of scriptures. In fact, no other chapter in the entire Bible covers precisely the same points of prophetic revelation that are given here, exactly how it says it. Paul was the founding church at Thessalonica, and his main message was that Jesus was going to return. His main message was of the second coming, but there was a lot of confusion about what he taught. He wrote the first letter to describe that Jesus Christ will, will come, the dead will rise first, and we who are alive and remain should be caught up together with the Lord to meet the Lord in the air. And you find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, uh, or chapter four, I should say, verse 13 and following. But there were some people who were claiming that that had already happened and that they had been left behind. Listen to what he says in verse one and following. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken or in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if it from us as though the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The day of the Lord in scripture is mentioned 34 times. It does not refer to one single 24 hour event. In fact, it's used like the expression, we're living in the day of wireless technology. That's how it's used, the day of the Lord. It's, a, it's an extended period of time. And the day of the Lord refers to a time when God will dramatically intervene in human history and will set in motion the events that will bring the end of the world as we know it. The day of the Lord is a series of events that begins when Jesus returns to rapture, to snatch away the church. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following. And then, and then there's going to be a time of tribulation a thousand year reign of, and after the tribulation period, the seven year tribulation period, the thousand year reign of Christ, the day of the Lord. Now how can a thousand years be a 
called the day of the Lord. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says that, the Lord, that, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. But Paul is pointing out some things that are going to happen, and that's, that, that's the way you know that you're not left behind. I, I know you believe that. But you can imagine all of the stuff that's shared today that confuses a lot of people about the second coming of Jesus. The first thing we're going to see, and I've already alluded to that, is the removal of the redeemed concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him in verse 1. Now the word gathering together epi soon agos well actually it's epi like synagogue but a gathering together an assembly it's a reference to what i mentioned to you is in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 17 it's used here and it's also used in hebrews 10:25 about the congregation of believers we're going to be gathered together Snatched away, gathered together. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. You know, folks, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the tribulation here in just a moment. But there are a lot of people who believe in a post-tribulation rapture, which doesn't make any sense to me. And I'll tell you why later. But... Basically, they say after the tribulation period that the church will be raptured out and then they're going to come right back with the Lord Jesus. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And then there's, the, there's a big group of people who believe that the, there's a, a mid-tribulation rapture. They call this the pre-wrath rapture, that the first three and a half years of the tribulation where there's supposedly some peace on the earth and the Antichrist makes peace, that after that three and a half year period, he breaks that peace treaty and the church will be raptured out of here and then it's the great tribulation the last three and a half years. There's just not enough scripture to back that up. I believe it's gonna happen before the tribulation period. So I'm, you can label me, I don't care if you label me. I've been labeled a lot of things, but you can label me a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial, rapture guy now he says a couple of things to them he said first of all do not don't be disturbed look at the word in verse 2 it says not to be soon shaken and the and the word means to agitate to to unsettle to cause to waver it was used of moving something away like a ship being suddenly torn away from the mooring by a strong wind paul uses the aorist tense which means at a point in time he said don't be shaken by that i mean you've heard somebody's told you you've been left behind that the, the lord's already returned he said don't be shaken by that and then he uses the word troubled. So don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Um, some of your uh, scripture may say disturbed, and, it, and it's present tense, which means this shook you up and you're still disturbed by it. You're, you're continually disturbed by it. Now, you'll notice the, sourcing, the source of this error 
In verse two, it says, whether it's by spirit. Now, this undoubtedly refers to the claim of some people to have a prophetic utterance from the spirit and to, and to give a revelation of something that's happened. And that's not uncommon today. People will say, well, I've got a word from God about this. And he said, he said, don't believe that. Because the word of God is complete, there's no new revelation through the spirit of God. I mean, he, he may teach us from his word and he may lead us to do some things, but, but there's not gonna be any new revelation from him. He said it could be either that or by word. And, and the word logos refers to a statement or a speech or an assertion. It's distinguished from the claim of the spirit prophecy. It may have just been somebody's opinion. He said, don't let somebody to debate you into this. Don't let somebody talk you into this. Whether they claim it's from the spirit or they just said, you know, this, just is, this is just what's happened. And then look at this in verse three. It says, or by letter as if from us. In other words, some of them were saying they had a letter from Paul telling them that the Lord had returned already. Now, these same sources are used today. You're going to have people that are going to tell you, the Lord told me this. You know, that's a hard word to define when you, you can be reading the word of God and the Lord will inspire you or move you but to just get up one morning and say the Lord told me he's coming back today they've just got indigestion <laughs> I may I, I'm, I know I'm being ugly I just don't believe it first of all it's got to be from the word of God for I'm going to believe it now these same sources are used today. And, and Paul would say, look, you live in a chaotic world. Would y'all agree we live in a chaotic world? He said, don't go around being disturbed all the time about this. When you read the news, it disturbs you. When you listen to the news, it disturbs you. And it's not that we're not supposed to stay informed, but, but he, he's trying to encourage people. He, in fact, he tells them in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 to encourage one another with these words that the Lord's going to return. He's going to come back. In other words, God's still on the throne. He's still in control. And even though the world looks chaotic, he still knows what's going on. And he hadn't forgotten you. And he's going to come back. And that's good advice for us today. The word troubled or unsettled, I told you, describes a ship that's being tossed in the middle of a stormy sea. And if you read what's going on in the world, you become a little unsettled. And in the light of world events, it's easy for us to be unsettled and be alarmed and be worried and torn up all the time. Give yourself a break. Don't listen to all the news. Look at the word of God because God says, hey, I, I'm still on the throne. I'm still in control. I know what's going on. In fact, I like what Isaiah records, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You know what prophecy is? It's history in reverse. God already knows the ending. 
He knows, God knows. You and I don't know. And the second thing he told him, don't be disturbed. He also said, don't be deceived. Look at verse three. Let no one deceive you. It's a compound word in the Greek that means deceive successfully, to be completely deceived. It's, it's, it's used again in 2 Corinthians 11.3 where it says that Eve was deceived. It's also used in 1 Timothy 2.14 where Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived, completely deceived. The use of this word says by any means. Let no one deceive you by any means. It reminds us that you need to be wary of where you're getting your information. Because I want to tell you, a lot of people make up stuff and put it out there online. Just because you read it on the internet does not mean it's true. Paul had to write these Christians because they've been duped by false prophets and liars. Jesus said we can know the season of his return, but nobody knows the exact date. He said there's some signs you can be looking for that kind of indicate it's going to be close. It's like watching a rain cloud come. I mean, when it begins to get darker and, and you feel the air get a little bit cooler, you can probably pretty much tell it's about to rain. But can you tell me exactly the first drop? When's the first drop going to fall? You don't know. That's probably a poor analogy, but you can see some of the stuff that's going to happen when Jesus is going to return, but you don't know when it's going to happen. And that's why many of us believe we're living in a season of his return, but don't try to set a date. If a person sets a date, that just disqualifies them. In 1843... A Baptist preacher by the name of William Miller predicted Jesus would return on a certain date. He didn't. So he predicted a second date. And again, Jesus was a no-show. The remnants of his followers formed the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, I'm not being ugly, that's just history. In 1914, Charles Russell claimed Jesus would return. A few years later, he identified World War I as the Battle of Armageddon. He missed it. His followers became the Jehovah's Witnesses. And of course, eight or nine years ago, you remember Harold Camping, who, de who, who determined that Jesus would return on May the 21st, 2011. Most of us were still alive then. It didn't happen, did it? You see, I agree with Warren Wiersbe who said the purpose of the Bible prophecy is not for us to make a calendar. It's for us to help build character. Jesus warned us not to set dates for his coming. Date setters are always upsetters. All they do is just upset people. Are we looking for the return of Jesus? Absolutely. Do I believe in the return of, absolutely. Do I see signs of the times? Absolutely. Do I know when he's gonna come back? Absolutely not. I don't know. Now, 
He said, first of all, the removal of the redeemed, I, I, I carried back to First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, but he said, we're gonna be gathered to him. The second thing is, I want you to notice the rebellion of the religious. Now, we have some interesting things to share with you about verse three. It says, for the, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now folks, depending on your translation of scripture, I'm reading from a New King James version. You may have an NIV, you may have an ESV. It's interesting that there's considerable evidence that the word translated either rebellion or apostasy or falling away can actually be translated the departure. And let me tell you why. Are you with me so far? The Greek word is apostasia. Sounds like apostasy. It's used twice. That word apostasy is used twice in its noun form. For example, in Acts 21, 21. It's used 15 times in its verb form, and it's the word ephistomy, and it's translated depart in 11 of those 15 times. So more times than not, it's translated departure or depart. In Luke 18, excuse me, in Luke 8, 13, it's translated fall away. It's found in Acts 5, 37, where it's translated drew away. In Acts 5.38, it's refrain from these men. And then in 1 Timothy 4.1, it, it talks about religious apostasy or a departure from the faith, but the qualifying words are, there'll be a falling away from the faith. But you don't see that here. It's just got the definite article, the. And 11 out of 15 times in the New Testament, it's used for departure, which would make more sense to me. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the departure comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition. But for the sake of argument, I'm going to let's argue it as the falling away or apostasy. or rebellion. Paul is saying that one of the unmistakable signs of the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord has begun, is that the man of lawlessness or the man of sin is going to be revealed and there's going to be a great worldwide apostasy that he has started. The word rebellion means apostasy throughout the history of the church. There have been periods of apostasy, but he's re referring to a time when there's going to be a mass exodus from the truth. Now, we're already seeing glimpses of this. It's been going on for a long time. They're teaching that sinful behavior can be, you know, churches today, have a lot of churches today have departed from the truth. They're calling sin, it's okay. God didn't really mean it. God's over it. God doesn't care anymore. They're teaching that, the, that sin today, it, the only sin they're teaching today is the sin of intolerance, that you can't 
call sin, sin. But the Bible teaches that in the last days, there will be an increase in wickedness and immorality. So I believe we're seeing the signs of the rebellion that he predicted would happen before the day of the Lord. But he said there's going to be one clear sign that the day of the Lord has started, and that is the revealing of the Antichrist. The revealing of the Antichrist. In verse 3, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The word revealed is the word apocalypto, which means to unveil, to disclose, to bring to light. It's interesting that the passive verb suggests that he will be present and very much a part of the political scene, but his character and purpose won't be known until he's unveiled. So he could very well be alive today. Now, I suggest that you don't go start trying to add up people's names and letters trying to find 666 and because you can make just about anybody you want to come up with that. You can figure out a way for that to happen. But the word antichrist appears four times in the Bible. It, it, it means against Christ. John wrote in 1 John 2.18 and, and 2.22, as you have heard, antichrist, capital A, is coming. Even now many antichrists, little a, have come. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. He mentions the Antichrist again in the second letter or second epistle of John. But after the rapture of the church, now you, you have to go through Daniel and Revelation and you see all of this together. But after the rapture of the church, things are going to be chaotic. And this person is going to rise to the, power, to the scene of being the one people are going to follow. I used to f wonder how in the world will people be that gullible until recently. <laughs> the, la the last 15, 20 years, I'm beginning to understand how that's going to happen. What's the Bible predict about the Antichrist? Let me chase a rabbit here for a minute. First of all, we know he's going to be a peacemaker. Daniel was the first prophet to identify the Antichrist. Listen to what he wrote in Daniel 9, 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, for seven years, one week. One, it's the 70th week. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now in Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel gives Daniel a remarkable prophecy of a time period covering God's plan for the ages. In fact, Daniel, Daniel, when you read Daniel, he predicted when the Messiah would be born. And it came true. But Daniel mentions a final seven-year period, which we call the tribulation period. And at the beginning of this seven-year period, the Antichrist will broker a peace treaty, but in the middle of that seven-year period, he's going to break that peace treaty. 
Can you, it could have been worse. Can you imagine how popular a world leader would be if he could successfully broker a peace deal between the Israelis and the Arab world? So how is a religious leader going to bring together all Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists? If he did that, he would win the Nobel Prize and he would definitely be Time Magazine's man of the year. He's going to be a peacemaker of some kind for a while. But then he's going to be a peace breaker. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15... Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, for then there will be great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now we call this period the great tribulation because of what Jesus called it. Paul mentions that this man of lawlessness is the one who will set himself up as God. Of course, he's going to have the backing of the false prophet. That's not mentioned here, but we know from Daniel and Revelation that there will be a false prophet. And he's going to set himself up in the temple. And you say, well, wait a minute. There's no temple in Jerusalem right now because the Dome of the Rock is in the way. Did you know actually it's not in the way? Because the Dome of the Rock, that Muslim temple, is that Muslim mosque, it's not a temple, it's about 100 feet south of the spot where the temple is was. Because you only have to Google an image of the model of the Jewish temple and see that the temple was directly west of the eastern gate. Eastern gate's here, the Dome of the Rock's over here. So the eastern gate's gonna lead into the temple, like the old temple, the place that it was. And we're not sure if it's gonna be a tabernacle for a while or they're going to rebuild the temple. But it doesn't have to be very big because the actual tent containing the Holy of Holies was only 45 feet long and 15 feet wide. That's about the half the size of a single wide mobile home. So most of us live in houses larger than the actual interior of the temple. So it didn't have to be very big. So just imagine part of this peace treaty, the world leader launches permission for the Jews to set up their tabernacle or their temple next to the Dome of the Rock. How long would it take for them to construct it? Depends on what they're going to construct. I don't know how it's going to happen, and I'm not saying it's going to happen that way, but I'm just telling you it's possible even now for it to happen because a lot of people say, well, no, the, the uh, Dome of the Rock's got to be torn down, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, when we go to Israel and we're allowed up on the Temple Mount, they have a little cupola or whatever you call that little thing. It's not very big around and it's got a little dome covering just sitting out there in the middle by itself. That's where they believe the Holy of Holies was in the original temple. That's where the Jews believe anyway. Not only is he going to be a peace breaker, but he's going to be a persecutor. Bible says a mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. That's three and a half years. 
in the, or in the middle of the seven years, as Daniel wrote, he began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven, and he was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. Now, who are the saints? Are there gonna be any Christians during the tribulation? Yes. We call them tribulation saints because we're told in Revelation 7 there'll be 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are gonna spread out across the world proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. And there are going to be people saved during the tribulation. But the Antichrist and his forces are going to try to torture and kill as many of them as they possibly can because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast. And by the way, folks, the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Seriously, there's people, there's all kinds of stuff going around here. So you, if you, if you get outside this chapter a little bit, you, you, you take a look at what the Antichrist will be. But Paul, in verse five, he, you see him reminding them of his teaching. He said, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. Now, from this statement, it's clear Paul had taught the Thessalonians these same truths. And when he was with them, but the evidence from the statement, I used to tell you these things. The verb here is imperfect tense, which means he told them more than once. I told you this more than once. And it might be a little bit of a rebuke here and a warning that says, you need to remember what I told you. And I think there's a couple of practical points from that. First of all, if you and I don't continue to study and retain and stay occupied in the truth of Scripture, then we can easily be deceived by a new wind of false doctrine. You know, I keep studying the Bible and we keep reading it. We keep teaching it, even though we've heard it before. I don't know about you, but I forget stuff. I don't know about you, but I forget stuff. <laughs> Did I say that already? And secondly, the, the fact that the apostle repeatedly taught on the subject shows us that it is an important theme of scripture that needs to be taught. Unfortunately, today, you've got the church, you've got people that just swing opposite. Some of them never mention any prophecy of the Bible. I know why some preachers don't. I know why they don't. They don't want to stick their neck out there so somebody can complain or disagree with them. You can disagree with me. It's okay. I've already told you many times, first thing's gonna happen when we get to heaven, there's gonna be a revelation correction class. I still think I got an A in that class, but I will find out. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Nobody has it, everything figured out. I don't. I've got some general things I'm pretty sure of. But then the other part of that pendulum is that's all some churches talk about. I mean, you, you've got more charts and more stuff drawn up and there's nothing wrong with charts, but, 
But you know, there's more to the scripture than just talking about the second coming all the time. So we try to balance that and take it as we come to it. And, but don't be afraid to talk about it. Somebody may disagree with you. I have good friends who don't agree with my interpretation. And I don't agree with them, but we're still friends. We're still saved. And I can hardly wait to show them I was right. <laughs> you know I'm joking. So we don't ignore it, but we don't ride that horse to death either. Now the last thing I want you to see, and this to me is one of the main reasons I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, is verse six and seven. Because you see the removal of the restrainer. Verse six says, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Who's gonna be revealed in his own time? The Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, now I don't know, I know in the New King James translation, he's capitalized, usually indicating God. Only he who now restrains will do so until capital H, he is taken out of the way. Paul wrote, there's a force at work in the world that's restraining right now the appearance of the Antichrist. He said, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. <laughs> you and I see that. We see, it's almost like, you can just see the world getting worse and worse, but there's still something holding it back. Who is that? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit it, he uses the word one who holds back and he says until he is taken out of the way. He is a personal pronoun. It's not an impersonal pronoun like it. He is taken out of the way. And most conservative scholars agree this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit indwell? In Christians. Now, I know he's not limited there. He's in the world, but he indwells us. And if you're going to take him out of the way, you got to get the Christians gone, which is the rapture. Taken out of the way, lawlessness begins. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is still going to be around in the world, but because he's going to help see people saved through the, through the Jewish evangelists, but we live in a wicked world. Can you imagine how wicked the world's gonna be when Christians are gone or the church is gone? We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world in darkness. Can you imagine the chaos that's going to happen when the lights turned off in the darkness? So there's three good reasons why the day of the Lord and the tribulation time could not have begun when the Thessalonians said, first of all, the departure or the apostasy, however you want to, however you want to interpret it, has not come. And second, the man of sin has not been revealed. 
And third, the Spirit of God has not been taken away. In a large sense, those unfilled, unfilled conditions are still true. While there is apostasy in our midst, the man of sin has not been revealed and the Holy Spirit has not been removed, all of this constitutes the fact that it has not happened yet. So, don't let anybody tell you we're already living in the tribulation period. I've had people tell me that. We're already in the tribulation the Antichrist. How many, I, I can't tell you how many times we've had a new president elected and somebody's told me, well, this is the Antichrist. <laughs> because they didn't agree with who won. Our president is not the Antichrist. Not right now, anyway. That a lot would have to happen for the world to follow him. I'm not going to say it can't happen because a lot of people are going to be deceived. Um, if you didn't get one of these signs, we have a lot more of them out here. I wish you'd take some, put them in your yard. Early voting starts next Monday. The, uh, the uh, election's May the 1st. And don't think Satan doesn't have some forces out here trying to stop this. He does. But if Christians... If, if Christians will just go vote, we'll win this. We will. I have no doubt we will. But we've got to turn out. You cannot say, well, I'll let everybody else do it. Uh, early voting, any of, the, any of the United grocery stores, I know, I don't, there's other places too, but, but go in and vote for the ordinance. But if you'd like to have a sign, there's plenty of them out here and and we need to use them. So take them and put them on other people's yards. Don't let them see you. <laughs> I sure am glad y'all have a sense of humor. Let me lead us in prayer. By the way, I, I want to tell you something awesome. You know, about the building that we're buying, I said we have until July the 1st to raise the money, $860,000. And so we've had two Sundays. <laughs> we already have $200,000 in two Sundays. So pray, pray about what you would give. I haven't even given yet. I'm going to finish it off, but I'll let some of y'all help it off. But um, it's just incredible. You, you folks are just amazing people. You really are. And I'm thrilled to be part of you. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we do look forward to the day when you come get us. What a glorious day. What a day of reunion that's going to be. Help our folks not to be stressed that you seem to have lost control of everything because we know you haven't. You're being patient for more people to come to know you. But I pray that people will know you and be taken when yet trumpet sounds and you descend from heaven with a shout and you take us home. Thank you for your word, Lord, that we can keep coming back to and for reassurance. When somebody makes up something and tells us it's going to happen, we can come back and test it from, from your word to see if it's really true or not. I thank you for these wonderful people, this amazing church, 
I can't imagine how great heaven's going to be. We get a little taste of it here all the time. And I thank you for these folks that love you. Lord, help us to tell other people about your return. We see the signs coming. We see the storm brewing. We don't know when it'll happen, but we know it's going to happen because you told us. So help us to be faithful. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to focus on you and not all of the bad news that we hear all the time. We trust you, God. We gave our life to you. You still hold on to us. We trust you. Again, we pray for these folks that are so sick and need a healing touch. We pray for those whose hearts are broken that you would comfort them. Lord, we look forward to coming Sunday to just be together again, to worship, sing, study your word, just encourage one another. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Y'all have a good evening. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.